0: Hello, this is a Navarro Media special broadcast. I am James Butler. As the coronavirus epidemic continues and many face losses of jobs and income, naturally people worry about their homes, especially if they're renting. So we thought it would be useful to speak to someone in the know about eviction law and tenants' rights. Earlier today, I caught up with David Renton to talk about just that. You may know David from his excellent work on the far right and anti-fascism in the UK. You can delve into the Navarra FM archives for a conversation about that. But in his day job, he's a barrister working in both employment and housing law. Um, Okay, so obviously there's a lot of talk about evictions at the moment. I know lots of people are worried and there are questions about who's protected, what the government measures are. I think you know, first and and most important is to get some clarity on this. Now, David, I think I, I understand. Housing is one of your main areas of practice as a lawyer. Yeah, I've been a housing
1: barrister now for ten years.
0: Okay, great. Um, and that 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 that's a <laughs> nice worth of experience for us to draw on. Um, so, I think people first off are, are pretty much worried on, on on a couple of fronts: those who are already facing eviction, and those who are worried about how they'll make rent or that they might face eviction proceedings. Um, you know, as, as this crisis goes on I, you know for, let's start there so let's start with with someone who might have had a letter through the door saying that their their landlord um wants them out for for whatever reason we can come on to the reasons that these things happen uh, in a bit but but what should be their first response
1: okay well, look the, the first thing is just try and work out where exactly they are in the process um they might be at an informal stage so maybe the landlord's been um talking to them, threatening them, saying they want to evict them. Um, At that stage, from the point of view of the law, that's really nothing at all. That's nothing to think about. Um, Stages start becoming, the process starts becoming more formal uh, when a tenant receives a notice from the landlord, um, and that notice might be called um, a notice seeking possession, a notice to quit, there are different kinds of notices that can be served. Those then might lead to court proceedings, and um, For someone who's already been in court proceedings, it may be those have ended, uh, there's been a possession order against them, and it may be that the next stage would be a bail estate. But but the key thing is to work out what stage they're at, because if they're relatively early in the stage, actually there's a lot of time. If there's late on, then it might be the things they need to do absolutely urgently to try and um, save the home that they're in.
0: Okay, great. I, let's let's think about people who are, are sort of right at the beginning uh, of that process. What what you know once they figured out you know where they are, um, you know what what steps should they take? What actions should they take? Well,
1: I mean, so of so this is about, in the sense, how um, how serious you reckon your landlord is about getting you out, um, if. Um if you think that this is a lot of hot air, a lot of blusters and landlord might do things which are unpleasant to you, I can go into more details about that. But but if you think this is for real and that there's and that the likelihood is either that you're facing either possession proceedings or even eviction, then in a sense the most important single thing you can do is actually go off and see um a housing legal aid solicitor. And and the reason why why I emphasise that is just because um we still have legal aid. People think it was largely abolished eight years ago, but in effect, it gives you gold standard protection. You have access to uh, solicitors and, all likelihood, barristers. Probably a better standard of legal representation than the landlord will have. It's free. Um, it protects you against cost orders from courts. It's something you should really try very early on to see if you can get.
0: Right. Okay. And just 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 while we're on that, I'm I, I know that there there is probably some confusion among the wider left who who sort of very rarely. Um, understand much about legal detail. Just on that question of legal aid, I, I, obviously there, there was that big legal aid um, act. LACO, uh, a, a few, yeah, Laspo a few years ago. Also, uh, also criminalized squatting. Yeah. Um, but um, just, just so, so legal aid is available. There, there are thresholds uh, around access to that. Yeah, but basically,
1: it's it's a means tested benefit, and and over the years, the means testing has become more and more um, exclusionary so that, so that, you know, what happens the first if, if you go and see a um, legal aid solicitor, the first thing that happens when you go in to meet them, you sit down and they spend 30 minutes asking you how much income you've got, getting you know, proof of your income, trying to see if you're entitled to legal aid. Um, I, I'm a barrister, so I do I'm not involved in that part of the process. But it certainly used to be the case that the thresholds were very, very low that basically, if you were on um, benefits um, for example universal credit you were very very likely to have access to legal aid if you were um, working and that was your income you needed to have an income less than eight thousand pounds a year mm-hmm. to get legal aid and obviously that carves out lots of people but but I don't really want to emphasize too much the detail of that process because actually sure, sure, sure. even just getting legal aid is quite a complicated process you know there are things like sure. some, some people they're red to get these figures if you've got children, the, the figures are a bit higher, but, but you go through a process mm-hmm. and you see if you can get it. Now, back in 2013, when, when the government massively cut legal aid, um, this is a process we all know about. Some parts of the law, for example, family law were really badly affected, immigration law. Actually, housing law largely survived. Um, and there are all sorts of, there is still a very large network of specialists, um, housing, legal aid solicitors who are good at the job, who know what needs doing. And to say if you're eligible for legal aid, it's there and it's free. So that really, the first question is, can you get it?
0: Great, um, and and just I, I guess while this crisis is going on, obviously everyone's work is affected to a greater or lesser extent. There's been some confusion, I think, over the internet or over whether the courts are open and operating. Um, do, do you have a do you have a sense of of how that's operating at the moment?
1: Well, look, the, the situation is changing literally day by day. I mean, and it's not just mm. the courts. I mean, it's even like getting hold of a solicitor. I mean, some firms, you know, at the moment, um, no one's working in the offices, but they've set up telephone lines. And if you phone them up, you'll be cascaded pretty quickly to, to a solicitor. Um, it's very similar with, with the courts. As of today, the short answer is it's chaos. But <laughs> And, you know, if you go on Twitter, you'll see solicitors complaining that, you know, um, possession list is still being listed, they're going to court, there's still 50 hearings in the particular court in the morning. And it's obviously completely um, at odds with all the government advice. But but relatively quickly, the situation is going to stabilize in that position in that definitely possession um, hearings will continue. Um, probably the majority will be done by telephone, um, or perhaps video link, but they are still going to be listed. So, so the courts themselves are not going to press a button tomorrow and say all right that's the end of housing law everyone can, can stay there until <laughs> the crisis is over i mean we might come on later to what the government's going to do but the situation yeah. as as of today i mean today i was supposed to be in court in a warrant here at 10 o'clock if the solicitor and the other side hadn't been able to uh, negotiate an agreement at four forty-five yesterday i'd be in court this morning
0: right um so just on landlords and how landlords act i'm sure you have uh, great and weighty experience about this um i i know uh, my understanding is like uh, and i've been on (laughs) i've been on the receiving end of this myself in the past landlords can sometimes act um you know on on their own uh you know on under their own steam uh now i i just want because i think it's going to be important in this period for people to know actually um that landlords have to follow a process right
1: yeah look, look That one of the things which makes all this kind of problematic is oh god, there's a word. One of the things which makes it <laughs> difficult to advise anyway is is that uh, is it tenants' experience of landlords varies enormously. You know, for example, you might be a tenant of a local authority. Let's imagine a Labour local authority, which has got tens of thousands of tenants. It's got very experienced housing officers and very experienced legal team, and it will follow the book. Um, it may make mistakes, it may get things wrong, but but in terms of process and procedure, it will do broadly what it's supposed to do. Um, at the other end of the experience, there are private sector landlords who, you know, this might be the first property they've ever rented out in their lives. They might mm-hmm. um, have 500 properties on their books. They might have always taken the view that basically they can ignore the law as much as they can get away with. Um, and there's just a whole range of different experiences, so that. You know, there will be a number of people listening to, to this phone call and their landlord's attitude towards getting possession will be, if, the, if I don't like the tenant, I'll literally just change the, the lock on the front door, throw their possessions out the window and make them pick them up and that will be the end of it. And there'll be landlords who are used to getting away with that. Now that's the minority experience and it's certainly not what the law allows. Um, do, you want, do you want me to come on there to, to, to what the law says about um, evictions without court process?
0: Yes, please. That's ideal. Yeah,
1: cool. Look, look, the one of the things which really, really protects tenants is is that we have a law that goes back to 1970. It's one of the few of those sort of labor era laws which is still entirely intact. It's the protection conviction act. It just says in simplest form, the landlord cannot evict the tenant uh, without going to court and getting court to make an order, removing them. Um, There are certain exceptions to that. I don't need to go through them now, but they're Mm -hmm. absolutely marginal and minimal. In 99.99% of cases, that's the situation you're in as a tenant. If your landlord is saying, I want you to leave, if they're threatening to switch off the electricity, if they're changing locks, they're committing criminal offences. In theory, the police are supposed to stop them doing that, but our practical experience is the police keep out of it. Um, Sometimes even get involved in support of the landlord. But in reality, um, for the tenants who find the landlord doing that, if they, particularly if they're eligible for legal aid, and they can get through to a legal aid lawyer, you know, they're facing a very, very easy legal process, which may lead to really considerable sums of compensation for them. What the landlord's doing is criminal. The judges absolutely hate it. It's completely contrary to our rules. So if, if your landlord's basically saying, you know, the coronavirus is going on, I've got to have the flat back now. I'm ordering you to go now. Um, from the point of view of the law, you're in a very, very strong position, um, and courts will not assist the landlord um, going, as it were, off Um Obviously, have there might be following procedure, and
0: then there might be other things you have to do. Great, um, that's really helpful. Thank you. Um, I I want to talk about um, the kind of letters that people receive. So there are, you know, there there are two notices. Um, there's which refer to sections of of housing law: Section Twenty One and Section Eight. Um, now, I think a lot of the the government response to this stuff so far has focused on no fault evictions. Um, but could you? Just tell us a bit about those two sections um, and whether they've been addressed in government policy so far.
1: Yeah. Um, in terms of um, no fault evictions or Section 21 evictions, um, the reason why the government early on was talking about these a, a lot is that um, after the general election, there were already laws in the pipeline, but they're nowhere near coming to effect yet, which were intended to abolish Section 21. Essentially tenants ran an argument. This is an inappropriate invidious, unjust procedure. And the government more or less conceded that argument So, at some point in the future, but that future is quite a long time away. It could be years (laughs) away. We're going to see removal of section 21, but we're not going to see the the death of section 21 during the coronavirus process. Um, so it still exists now Mm -hmm. section 21 is an eviction procedure, which is used, um, primarily by um, private sector landlords, although some housing associations do also use it. And it, the idea is it's a um, no-fault eviction procedure where the landlord just says, we own the property, therefore we want it back. So they give you a period of notice. And in principle, um, at the end of that notice, you're supposed to leave. But even that phrase, you're supposed to leave, um, what I said earlier about protection from eviction still applies, That that when that notice period ends, all that means is that, is that they're entitled to apply to the court for a possession order against you. And if you have a defense to that possession procedure, which many people do, uh, then that claim for possession will fail. So, so if you get a section 21 notice, particularly at the present, don't panic, don't think, oh my God, I've got to leave now, 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 now. First of all, look at when it expires. And then think to yourself, right, what this means is that the landlord can't even start beginning talking to the court about removing me until that um, period ends. So certainly if you get a section 21, you should be going off and trying to get hold of a legal aid housing solicitor. I, I imagine this is going to be a theme of everything I say, um, <laughs> but what you shouldn't be doing, you shouldn't be panicking. You shouldn't be thinking, oh my God, I've got to go you know, How am I going to do this with all the chaos that's going on? Actually just getting a section 21 procedure. Still keeps you potentially months and months away from actually having to leave the home, and that leads out whether you know you might have a defence to that um, possession proceedings when it comes out.
0: Right, and and so the the other side of this is 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 a section eight notice. Now, um, that, that my was section
1: my under-
0: one yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. I want to, I, I do want to talk about section eight because I think this is what people are, are sort of worried about in um you know in the in the coming months because they fear um you know they they fear if they can't meet their rent or if they you know that, that they, they get into arrears um that that they might uh face proceedings under uh section eight right yeah. so this is um th- there are various grounds for this as i understand
1: yeah that's right and and, and what the grounds are depends on what kind of tenure you are essentially, whether you're uh, whether your flat is a local authority flat or a housing association private sector flat. Um, Many uh, section eight claims are brought under the grounds of rent arrears, but they can be brought under under other grounds. Um, They're also commonly brought under for example, when people are accused of antisocial behaviour. But actually, there Mm -hmm. are a large number of different grounds and and one of the grounds, for example, is any breach of the tenancy. So potentially, section eight proceedings can be brought under almost anything but, but again, Um, Section 8 actually is is meant, is an incentive, Section 21 is a no fault eviction. Section 8 is about fault evictions, that you've done something Mm -hmm. wrong, or that the landlord's got some other reason which entitles them property. Um, Again, if you get that letter, all that letter is doing is it's telling you that the landlord can't apply to the court to begin possession proceedings until after the date in that letter. So again. It's not a case of you're at home, you get that letter. It doesn't mean you have to go now, 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 now. What it means is you should, from that point you should be going to see, uh, going to get um, legal advice. But but you know, if you think about the simplest form of Section 8 letter, which is just someone's behind with their rent, with their rent, um, mm-hmm. these cases come to court, and then the way that judges deal with them, depending on the reasons for the renter is even absent coronavirus. It can be a very long and slow process for a landlord to get um, possession under section eight, you know, probably right. the simplest thing would be someone's just like, um, you know, the housing benefits, not in payment for a relatively short period of time. Uh, you go along and say to the judge, um, listen, this is a situation of my benefits. I'm expecting housing benefits to be paid back. soon. Um, even absent coronavirus, as long as the people, the rears are relatively modest in those sorts of scenarios, judges don't hurry to evict tenants.
0: Right. You've sort of anticipated one of the things I was going to ask, actually, is, is how much latitude do, do judges have in, in this process?
1: Yeah, look, it, it depends on, on the grounds that, that, that possession is being sought under. Um, there are some grounds where in principle, possession is absolute, um, that um, if a landlord seeks possession under one of those grounds and the factual matrix of those grounds is made out, then possession is mandatory. And there are other grounds which are discretionary um, where there's much more licenses. Um Even the mandatory grounds, um, our experience with housing lawyers has been that in recent years, um, we've been able to sort of push back against what's um, considered, um, even on the mandatory grounds, whether it's considered that people just be automatically and quickly evicted. So we're having a lot of success in the courts running defences based on Human Rights Act, or much more mm-hmm. so in the last couple of years around the Equality Act, um we've established the principle um, in litigation that essentially um, you can't evict someone who might have an equality act Defence early on in proceedings and all these things operate as a delaying mechanism of bar to the immediate granting of possession. You know, because we're talking during the coronavirus, I'm I'm trying to give people a sense that, you know, if you're in a situation where um where your landlord seeking possession under grand renter is a, you don't have to run leave the flat just because you've had the notice. B, even if you get to court, particularly if you've got representation, you shouldn't assume that that that, that possession proceedings will end with you having to leave. There's really quite a right. high likelihood you'd have a defence and you decent chance of staying.
0: Right. I think I think that's really helpful. And I think it's really helpful throughout that, that, that you've stressed that, you know, when these letters you know, if these letters arrive through your door, not to panic, but you know, that, that there is time and you can seek Help. I think that's really, really crucial. Um, there are, however, situations in which people do have to act reasonably urgently. Um, and I think that's just something to note here. And it's going to be a small section, perhaps a you know, very small section of people who hear this. But, um, you know, th- these, this is for people who are a bit further along in the process. Uh, and so these are people who've been given um, a bailiff state. So they'll have a letter saying a bailiff is going to turn up uh, and evict you. Um, is there you know what should people do in that situation
1: okay well, it, it might just be helpful I'm I'm going to answer but I just want to kind of explain because I know that I'm talking to different groups of people here. some people who are right there and are absolutely right that's me and panicking and I want to know but also some people mm-hmm. who are just thinking could that be me in future and, and mm. how common is this so I do need to explain just a little bit about how people get to that point sure. um A bail estate is a really different thing either from being told there's a court hearing or even just the initial notice right at the start. A bail estate comes right at the end of court proceedings. Um, There are a small number of people who for one reason or another, the first time they realize they're in the court system is when they get a letter telling them um, there's a bail estate, but they are really, really, really unusual. They're people who, you know, there's something not working with their post and they've lost and they've not had literally half a dozen or a dozen letters to that mm-hmm. point. And you do find them. But for the vast majority of people, if you get to that point, you get to that point because you've already had the notice. You've already gone to court. You've already tried to persuade the judge not to make a possession order. The judge has made a possession order. Now, there are different kinds of possession orders that can be made. What One quite common order is what we call a suspended possession order. And that might happen, for example, if someone they've got an arrears, maybe they're £2,000 in arrears, maybe they've got some benefits money back, so they've reduced it a little bit, but there's a long term debt which will take them a long time to pay off. And a very common um, possession order might say, all right, um, possession's been granted to the landlord, but you won't actually be evicted. So long as, say, you pay off your rent plus you pay £5 a week towards your rent arrears for the indefinite future. Right. That's quite a common form of order. Where those orders are made and where someone breaches them, the landlord can apply uh, for a bailiff date. Or the other time you get to bailiff date is if someone's just um, gone through the court, the court's made an outright order, maybe because of antisocial behaviour or whatever. And again, now it's just a matter of getting the bailiff who's going to evict them. If, if you okay, do that... nothing about the bailiff state, a bailiff will show up at your house and remove you and your things and you get your things put in storage. So the bailiff state is actually the nuclear moment.
0: Right. You right. get
1: to that point, you could actually lose your home.
0: Right. So I, I, I think that's think helpful. And I think how, it's also, what you do it, stop
1: it. It. In essence, what you have to do is you just have to apply to the court uh, for what we call a stay of eviction. Which is you have a hearing before the bail state, and hopefully the judge will agree with you to put off the bail state, either indefinitely or for some period of time to enable you to make arrangements or whatever. But but Great. that process of applying to the court, again, it's much easier done through um, through solicitors. But there are some people who who don't have access to solicitors right now, and there's a form. It's called an N two four four form. And actually, what's expected? I'm, I'm, I'm maybe perhaps, James. One thing we could do is in, in the show notes to this uh, podcast, we could put the link to the N244 form. Absolutely, absolutely. Fantastic. Essentially, what's expected is you fill that in. Now, you might only fill it in with as little as, um, "Please don't evict me. I want the eviction to be stayed." But you put that in the form, and you have to get it to court. And if you don't get it to the court, and and you don't get it told by the court, there's going to be a date. Then the bailiff date will go ahead.
0: Okay, good. That, that's, that's really helpful. And I think it's really helpful, actually, it, you know, in a sense, just to give, you know, people who are, you know, perhaps involved in, in local mutual aid groups, just a sense of, of where the timeline and where the urgency is on this stuff. Because I know there are lots of people sort of who have their eye on their local community and perhaps pe- people who are, are vulnerable to eviction near them. So, so I think all this information is very, very helpful. Um, I I wonder if you have a sense so because one of the things that that has been circulating and I've seen it on Facebook I've seen it on Twitter is oh well the, the government is going to stop all evictions now, right? That um, that the, the, there won't be any evictions during the during the coronavirus crisis. I think that's that's you know that's that the, this is the government's fault actually that it's been communicated really really badly. Um, there there are government bills coming on on. Uh, powers during during uh, the coronavirus crisis did to your knowledge is does it contain provisions on housing
1: well, look unfortunately it doesn't and and i think for everyone who's involved in the housing world that's enormous disappointment um right now if you look on the government website uh there there are links saying we are going to put um a halt to new possession proceedings this is brilliant but that hasn't made its way into the draft bill now who's to say maybe in the next 10 days that will change, maybe it will get into <laughs> the bill. But, but if nothing else, that makes it really hard to say what these powers actually are and how they're going to help anyone because mm-hmm. you're kind of guessing that the informal advice they've given means something. And the informal advice itself is pretty contradictory.
0: Right, can you tell me a bit about that advice? Because I've seen some of it saying, you know, um, we will encourage, uh, you know, uh, landlords to reach repayment agreements with tenants who can't meet them, their their rent or, or, or we, we encourage landlords to show compassion. Yeah, look,
1: what uh, there is on the gov what there is on the gov.uk website now is there's just a press release. And the press release says in its title it says complete ban on evictions and additional protection for renters. Unfortunately if you read it it's not talking about a complete ban on evictions at all. <laughs> <laughs> well what they're saying it's just that um, if um, a landlord wants to start possession proceedings, there'll be a temporary stay on that, a block. So for three months, there won't be any new possession, possession proceedings starting. Now that would be good. It'd be great if it was actually in the legislation, in the draft legislation, but but let's hope that it makes its way in there. But But it still has all sorts of problems because, you know, there are really two practical problems with it. The first problem is, what happens if you're already in the um, possession system? And what landlord and tenant um, lawyers are really worried about is if someone's already, as I've described, they've passed the notice date, they've already had court proceedings, um, It doesn't. it's not at all clear looking at this press release whether people will be protected at that point. So they've already been subject to several years of litigation, Maybe they've got this suspended possession order. What's going to happen to them? If the government would say, all right, there'll be no new possession proceedings for three months, that wouldn't actually protect those groups of people because they're already in the system. All that, that I, it seems to be saying is that any new cases will, as it were, be switched off. But the old ones which are still working on their way through won't get that protection.
0: Right, and it right. might
1: not. It's not clear.
0: Right, so so one of the things perhaps that, that people should be pressing the government on is clarity for people who are already in the system.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, look, there, there are Labour shadow ministers having negotiations with the government about the contents of the bill. There are senior trade unionists having meetings with you know all sorts of government ministers about what should be done. If people are in those situations or you know people in those situations, some clarity here would be really useful.
0: Mm-mm-mm um and just a sense because I, I was i was looking at the government advice and, and one of the things that you know occurred to me is that that you know i i what i what i worry about is you know it, is people coming out people who haven't been able to meet their rent and people who, who might have lost their jobs or people whose hours might have been reduced and who who end up in arrears uh at the end of this this period um you know that the, they then get saddled with significant debts to a landlord right and whether that's a private landlord mm-hmm. or, or or a council or housing association um it, i i i do i do worry that we're going to see people at, at the other side of this crisis then facing you know they, they haven't been evicted but then facing you know being saddled with you know what what can be some pretty punitive debts uh, I, is that right to worry am i being paranoid is, is that right to worry about I I think you're absolutely right to worry. I mean,
1: if you turn around and say um, everyone still has to pay their rent, um, but you're talking about, for example, people who are gig economy workers who are just not going to have a salary during this period, undoubtedly Mm. they're going to fall behind. Um, And to say, well, in the three months of coronavirus, they're not going to be evicted. That's a limited um, protection. But, you know, you know, maybe the sorts of demands that we should be talking about now are, are perhaps a you know a general resetting of tenants' rent accounts at the end of the coronavirus. Mm. Um I mean that sounds tremendously utopian because you know you're talking about people who've built up huge debts, but you know, the num the number of people um who 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 as tenants representatives who we represent in court every day who are seriously in debt is just growing and growing and growing. Mm-hmm. Um it's down to things like uh, the gig economy, but it's also down to all those um, wretched benefits rules changes. Mm. you know at least two, three times a week, I, I get um, asked to represent in a case where essentially someone's subject to the bedroom tax or the benefits cap, and you know you're talking then about people who, who even if they paid every single penny they get in benefits, housing benefit, their ordinary income support, US you know, credit or whatever, even they put them all in a big pot and paid it all to the landlord. Even if they didn't spend a penny on um, food or water or transport or, or communications, they would still not have enough money to pay their rent. And ever since austerity happened, we've just bit by bit allowed more and more people to get into that category. And, you know, we, we're kind of relying on judges coming up with excuses or a good lawyer being there and everyone engineering some nice legal solution which keeps someone in their home for a period of time. But even the people who are staying in their homes that they're, they're getting more and more in debt, uh, are are more and more money. They're getting uh, money judgments against them, which mm. might be things to have an impact on their lives, 10, 10 years after the event. So, you know, we're, we're past the point where we need a little sticking plaster to solve this part of the coronavirus problem, you know, we need that's why I say, you know, something like a complete resetting of everyone's rent accounts, right, right. or whatever. We need something to solve the, to solve the situation much more fundamentally.
0: Because it it really sounds like from, from your account there that, that these are you know effectively these, these are problems that have been built up you know by, you know systemically over over years, which are now you know coming to the fore partly because uh, of the way in which this crisis is playing out. But there's a there's a there's a far you know there's a deeper and more enduring problem. There,
1: yeah, look, look may, maybe, maybe what we need is coronavirus to be the moment where we stop, we look at ourselves, look at the situations that we've sort of allowed and tolerated, just building up and building up, and looking at them and saying, look, this, this, this problem actually had already gone way past any threshold. One, it already reached a point where it was unsustainable, and now we've actually got to start talking about it and confronting it and changing it.
0: Mm. Um, I, I, I just want to point to um, obviously, there are uh, activist groups working uh, around this kind of stuff. And uh, I, I'm aware of Acorn, I'm aware of the London Renters Union. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think those are going to be useful things for people to be in touch with if they can.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, uh, maybe the sort of point to end on is, is that all through this, this last half hour, I've been talking about what people can do if they've got access to um, lawyers, um, there are inevitably some people who lawyers can't help, you know, for example, you know, if you've got an income, if you're a single person with an income of more than £8,000 a year or however much it is, and you don't get legal aid, um, lawyers aren't going to be a great deal of help or solution to you. Or, for example, you know, you might have whatever kinds of, um, I talked about some certain grounds of possession, which are mandatory. It might be that a lawyer looks at it and says, look, actually, we can't help you there are other cases where maybe where a lawyer might be part of the solution, but only part. And the the truth is there's an awful lot of space out there for people to get together to, you know, to, for example, you know, we've seen in the last couple of years, lots of cases of, um, anti-austerity campaigns, for example, having blockades of homes, which were threatened with eviction, uh, keeping bailiffs away as a sort of mass action can be a strategy for keeping people in the homes. Mm. There's lots of different things, ways in which sort of collective and mass action can either do this either just mass action or mass action in conjunction with legal action um, i really don't want people to, to, to take away from this the idea that you know it's only about getting people to lawyers but what i am saying is is that there are a a cater out there of housing legal aid lawyers who are absolutely committed to trying to keep people in their homes and who when they see people trying to do this in a sort of mass collective action way don't go oh, that's a disaster, leave it to lies. Actually go, oh, that's brilliant. Let's see if we can work together and make sure that we keep this person in their home.
0: That's perfect. That's a great place to end it on. Thank you so and much. And that's that. Me. In the show notes Thank to this episode, you'll find links and further information on evictions. And we'll bring you some more of these helpful and informative episodes as this period wears on. So do let us know what you'd like to hear about. And if you head over to the Navarra Media social feeds, you'll see what we're going to be doing throughout the crisis period, including a relaunch of our daily show, The Burner. That's it. I'll see you soon.